0: Anne Boyd is best known as the founder, former coordinator, and presenter of EarthSong, and as editor of the journal EarthSong. This was an education project for Earth literacy and facilitating an understanding of the place of the human in light of the new story of the universe. Since the closure of EarthSong at the end of 2017, Anne continues the work under the name of Earth Spirit. She's also engaged at present as a member of the global leadership team for her Bridgetine Congregation of Religious Sisters. I spoke to Anne from her office beside Port Phillip Bay in Melbourne. I'm Sally Neves and this is the Thresholds
1: podcast. My strength still is in inviting people into uh, a, a well into the spirit of earth, basically. And to the extent that we move into that spirit or allow Earth spirit to to capture us, then uh, we we will act appropriately. Mm-hmm. There's a you know there's a lot of work being done now on Earth rights, and I think that's a magnificent movement. There's a lot of young, inspiring people involved in that, and I've got some connection with that, uh, and I think they also are, have embraced the consciousness element as well as the action mm-hmm. element. And to the extent that you can bring them into you know, tandem with each other, I think that there's something underpinning the action. You're not going to get burnt out if you've got a deeper consciousness. Mm-hmm. The action will arise from it.
0: Well we're here in Albert Park beside Port Phillip Bay which is the office and home of Anne Boyd and um, I'm so pleased to be interviewing you Anne as one of my great mentors in life and I'm um, so happy that you could join us for this podcast, thank you.
1: Sally, it's a pleasure to be with you, (laughs) I'm looking forward to talking with you. Thank you.
0: So, thinking of this place and thinking of your background and your early influences and your religious background and so on, I was wondering if you could share with us something of of that background that comes to mind.
1: Well, I'm very much a Western Suburbs girl in Melbourne, I'm the eldest of six children and uh, we moved four times around the Western Suburbs for various reasons. Uh, before I was in grade five, and we belonged uh, to what might be called a Catholic ghetto. We were a strong Catholic family, well, strong at least in my mother's perception. Dad just carried along with everything, and uh, I went to school uh, with the Josephite sisters in three different schools out there, and then when it came to secondary education, my mother was determined her daughter's would be educated in secondary schools. So there were no schools in our area that we could go to and we had friends who had uh, relations, Bridgetine sisters, so that's how I got to come to school at Kilbride in Albert Park where we are now. Um, I, I very much feel I belong in the western suburbs of Melbourne. Some people are quite afraid of the multiculturalism and such, but um, I'm not. I, I, I relish it. It's really a very rich place to be and uh, certainly learn a lot about struggle, not that we were terribly poor. We were an average, ordinary family. But uh, I also bear it for the Western Bulldogs, which mm-hmm. is a very important part of knowing anything about me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, important part of living in Melbourne, that's right. <laughs> that's right, right. yes. From those years, <laughs> I want to sort of fast forward a bit, yeah, to the next phase of life. You're a sister, and you're developing confidence in learning later on. Mm. And I'm interested in where this took you, and eventually it ended up with the Earth Song story. Now we've talked about Earth Song once before in our interview with Pat Long on the podcast, and this was originally your concept, mm. the whole project, and. I'd love to hear about when you first realised that something like Earth Song was needed, and um, a bit about that story leading to that moment.
1: Well, it was a sort of an evolution of thinking. Really, um, I had a bit of a an epiphany when Dermot O'Murcur was here in Melbourne at one stage. And actually Pat and myself both went to this lecture of his. I understood nothing of what he was talking about. He was talking about quarks and all sorts of <laughs> things. I just I was just overwhelmed by what I didn't know that he was talking about. But there was some traction in what he was saying. And I remember that very vividly as being a sort of thing I kept that kept coming back to me. I needed to know something more about this Mm -hmm. and there was a group here called Walk the Land and we would gather monthly, Uh, we would share our responses to a reading that we had all done and then we would walk somewhere and then share a meal and reflect on the walking. And uh, so that, there was already a community of people here religious, they were all religious at that time. And so I just I just felt I needed to learn some more about this. And Miriam McGillis Pat had already gone to Genesis Farm and then we arranged for Miriam McGillis to come here and uh, she was she did a seminar, a few days seminar at Listerfield. And out of that we developed another group called Companions on the Journey. And that was a very much wider group, probably about 60 people it at one stage. And we kept reading and talking and eventually I knew I had to do something more and go and learn about this. So that was a fairly difficult time because um, I had to struggle pretty hard to get that study leave uh, and to go and do it. But having, having got the leave, I went to Schumacher College in in England, Devon in England, and we had Fritjof Capra and various other lecturers, mostly around what then was systems theory and the Gaia theory. And then I had the chance to visit a number of centres of ecology and spirituality that religious sisters were running in Ireland and England, then I went to Genesis Farm. And Genesis Farm gave me an underpinning for what I'd done at Schumacher because they weren't talking about new cosmology. They were talking about science, basically, Mm. of which I knew nothing. I once taught science, but I never learned it. Mm. And that was (laughs) some of the challenges of our earlier teaching career. (laughs) But... um, uh, so Genesis Farm sort of brought the whole thing together for me, that, um, you know, this science sort of fitted into a cultural story as well, a new cultural story. And Genesis was a very special place, as it was for all the people who'd been there. And a very holy, well, so was Schumacher College, a holistic way of living, you know, mm. you, you got the food from the garden and you helped cook the food and it was all, you know, really um, an integrated sort of lifestyle, as was Genesis. And I remember one of the highlights for me, which unusually was not my strength at times. We had to make masks. We had to. We were invited to make masks, and I found myself using a huge, a, lot, a huge lot of um, the mask of the person we wanted to be the way we wanted to see the world. And I used a lot of Australian imagery. I had indigenous patterning and I had the Southern Cross and I, w- I just really knew I belonged in this country. Mm. And so as the notion of earth song or something that I was going to work in emerged, I knew it had to had to have a lens of Australia or Southern Hemisphere at least. Because we were subjected to so much Northern Hemisphere imagery and ritual, which was very rich, but I just wanted us to be able to have our own voice Mm -hmm. in all of that. So I stayed on at Genesis for a bit and spent a good bit of time talking to Miriam McGillis about what could happen. I knew that I would never get uh, any authority or permission to do anything with uh, the Victorian Brigidines unless it had the word justice in it. So I had to develop this concept of eco-justice <laughs> and try to fit everything underneath that. And then when I came back, I knew you know this Walk the Land group and the Companions and the Journey group. So I proposed and I knew we, we had no land, no centre, and the Glenburn Centre was already there, the Christian Brothers Centre, so it, it wasn't, there wasn't room for another centre. So I proposed that we get together uh, various religious orders and we worked together for about three months and out of that earth song was birthed. It was a really amazing coalescence of dreams mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't hard. We didn't know what we were going to do. I mean we had a vision statement <laughs> and then we got, uh, and we, we got money from each of, or seven orders in the beginning agreed to sponsor us for one year. So then we had to go back to them, could we have another year, yes we have. Three one years we got, and then we got a life sentence from then <laughs> on until it was time to close the project.
0: So presumably the others, um, on the, le- the leadership team of the other seven orders mm. had some idea what you were going to do, and they had some understanding of what you have been learning about, is that right?
1: Yes, we... We were a bit careful, uh, or skillful, you might say. We said it would be an educational project. So they were all orders mm-hmm. that had educational institutions. And we talked about justice. And it was all quite authentic, what we were saying. But underneath it, we knew there was something much deeper than that. But in order to get the support for the project. Mm-hmm. So then we started... Um, we were then the, what became called the presenters team, Pat Long, um, Trevor Parton and Carmel Cromery and myself. And we started travelling around the countryside, wherever anyone invited us, we went. And we gradually, we were telling the universe story. That was all we were doing in the beginning, just, ex- well, we called a four-part segment exploring the new cosmology. And we were learning, you know, it was based on a Genesis unit actually, but uh, we did it slightly differently from Genesis. And as we did everything, we learned. And you had to read frantically, oh, well, I was reading frantically, and trying to pick up, you know, some more depth to everything that we were doing, which over time happened, I think. Yes, it was. Um, there was a level of excitement mm-hmm. amongst, uh, particularly the religious who, who were part of the wider circle. Of mm-hmm. Earth something different, and it addressed, I think, the um, the sort of uh, restlessness that many had about church, and as we moved beyond the religious circles of religious orders. Uh, certainly it attracted a number of many people who had a restlessness about church and were not finding meaning uh, or even truth, perhaps, Mm -hmm. in belonging.
0: So we're talking about an era where there's a lot of restlessness with the tradition, and these are people within religious orders. Is that correct?
1: Initially, we yeah. were working mainly with people in religious orders. We we wanted to work with teachers. That was that was really where we were dreaming we would work with teachers in schools. Um, we have had we did have some some really effective residential programs called New Heart and New Mind with teachers and they were life-changing for some of them or concept-changing for some of them. But because there's no follow-up and they go back Mm. to school and then they get on with life and it all sort of just gets covered over. But the religious uh, were sort of, they were on a journey for themselves and Mm. they would have time, most of them, for further reading and conversation and reading circles. We Mm -hmm. had reading circles. And so they would then have their influence. I, I just had to believe that that was rippling out mm-hmm. to other people. Mm-hmm. We then began to get a lot of older people, grandparent-type people. Uh, a fair number of Uniting Church people developed a, a lot of interest in earth song. And they, that was a precious group because of grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And we, we sort of, you could see them... Desiring to tell this new story, and we began to get resources for them—children's books and whatever that they could could use with their grandchildren, or just take them out bush, mm. you know, go camping. And mm. so, yeah, it's—I began to develop a belief in eldership that there is uh, that this story uh, has a power for the elders of society. Mm amongst whom are, are religious nowadays. And uh, so I think that that's, that's a very important component. And when you look at the teachers of this new story, to some extent they belong to that generation too. Mm-hmm. Joanna Macy, yes. you know, Thomas Berry, Miriam, same age as myself. You know, they. Um, there's something about being able to look back on the consequences of the way we have lived on this planet and being able to dream and hope for the way we might live on mm-hmm. this planet. So it's like a transition time in some way, mm-hmm. where um, you've got to have a bit of time to embrace the new story. You can go to it and you can go to a session, get excited about it, and then you come home and the kids are there and they have to do everything that they have to do and you've got to go to work and you've got to earn money. And It it disappears. Now, it may come back in later years, but I am quite happy that most, content might be a better word, that um, the people we have worked with in the main in recent years have been elders of society, Mm. although every now and then, (coughs) like yourself, Sally, we we have found um, younger people who get captured by the story too, but then many of them get constrained mm. by family life yes. and or work life and don't have... It's, it stays in their hearts, I think. Mm. I mean, I believe it's in everybody's heart. It's in, yeah. our, in our genetic memory. Mm. Uh, I often make the comment that we honour Indigenous people as the custodians of our land and we must do that. But they are the same species as we are. Mm. So we have within us the capacity to care for country, as they do, to understand ourselves as coming from Earth, as mm-hmm. they do. Perhaps not in the same cultural expressions, mm-hmm. but in it, intrinsic to our being mm-hmm. is the knowledge that we belong here, that we have come from Earth and that Earth sustains us. And so, um, you know, when someone gets captured by that, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yes.
0: And you're one of the first people in Australia, to be telling this new
1: cosmology. And when was all this happening? Uh, this song began in 2003. Mm. So uh, we, were, we were working from the second half of 2003, mm. the four that I named earlier as the presenters group. Uh, I think we matured a lot. There were others in Australia doing a Tabka. Veronica Littleton and Kay, okay, and uh, Mary Tinney. There were others doing this, and of course the Centre for Ecology and Spirituality at Glenburn. Uh, There was a consciousness emerging in little pockets. I I Mm. often think about it as a fairy ring, you know, mushrooms popping Mm. up, and they're all connected underneath, Mm -hmm. but there's just manifestations that look unconnected. And I think that's still the way it is that, uh, you know, Paul Hawken talks about it as blessed unrest. So many, Mm. many, many different little groups all over the planet, Mm. all what he calls becoming the Earth's immune system, you know, really developing a resistance to the capitalist consumerist society. Mm. And I I think that... That's the sort of uh, consequence of uh, becoming part of the new story, becoming part of it, actually.
0: What are some of the other consequences? Because I'm sure what you're saying is so very new and it's in a religious context. And I'm sure there must have been a lot of challenges for people. Um, What were some of the typical reactions to the new story?
1: I think the the hardest part is an indifference. Mm. It's not that people don't want to hear it, it's that they can't hear it. Because they're so inculturable, what Barry calls autism, mm. they're so inculturated into another way of believing and seeing. And that that's, that's understandable because there's been so many centuries um, sort of, developing that culture and inserting people into those cultural interpretations. So it's very hard to um, break through that. It's uh, And I, I sort of take heart from biological evolution. You know, everything doesn't evolve into a new species. There are still species that have... The bacteria that have been here since the beginning evolved into nothing but what they were three billion years ago. So... It's, uh, I think it's something about we can't, and then, you know, I, I get nervous about saying these sort of things because it looks as if you're privileging the new. Mm. And I don't want to um, sound like that, even though I might believe it really. <laughs> but, um, it's, uh, it, you, it's, it must honour and, and respect the ways that all people make meaning, mm. I think. And if they can't come along this path, you can only offer. And sometimes it's quite isolating, you know. You can feel quite, particularly in my case, in uh, belonging mm. being a religious sister. It's um, I I definitely belong to our and group. There's no doubt. It's like it's like any long term relationship. You you have your ups and downs and ins and outs, but um. I do belong here and I've had enough experience of people leaving to have questioned it very often why although I staying here you know but I do belong and uh, so from within I just um I sometimes feel like I'm sort of uh what would you say when people say oh we need to get more earth friendly and everything people will say oh we've got Anne you know okay <laughs> <laughs> It's madness, you know, but it's, it's like when a family member, one of my family members dies, they come and they say, well, you work out the funeral, you know, you're the religious one, well, off you go, we'll do whatever you say, you know, they've no idea what to do. And so I can, you know, have set-up met of our funerals and marriages, for that matter, and um, it's, it's sort of like, well, you're, you're the repository For what people feel, we should be doing something about. Mm. And as long as that's like, I had no trouble getting the Bridgetines to sponsor Earth Spirit when Mm. Earth Song closed. No trouble, whatever, because it's sort of a consolation to them that here we've got Earth Spirit. So you know, we're doing it, Mm. but we're not. You know, we're not doing it. And yet, it's not lack of goodwill. It's much easier, I, I think for people to adopt sustainable practices. It's much easier to recycle, to do all of those sort of things than to change your consciousness about your cosmology. That's a hard thing because it your religious beliefs fall apart. Your mm. liturgy falls apart. It's, it's, it's a very hard thing to ask people to do. And I think it has to capture them. And if we try to light the sparks and they don't light, well, so be it. But it doesn't stop you trying to light them. <laughs> no.
0: And how has your understanding of religious life changed
1: as a result of the new cosmology? How does it all fit together in your mind? It fits together very well. Religious orders were all founded to do something that wasn't being done. We did schools, we did hospitals, we did social work, all these things that were not happening in society. They have all been taken over now by society, by government, by whomever. And so, what are we to do? We are supposed to be on the edge, calling attention to what is not in people's visibility.
0: Mm.
1: And that's, I think, that this work belongs very strongly in the heritage of religious life and it's it is you know religious life itself has evolved from desert fathers and mothers to monasteries to you know people out on the street doing things and uh this i do believe is the next sort of phase not necessarily of religious life but of prophetic life if mm. you like mm. it doesn't have to be religious life but just it's it's evolving out of religious life in many ways. When you look at so many of the mentors that have influenced us, mm. it's starting with Tyard, we're starting mm. with the mystics, the Rhinel- land mystics, and you know all the way along, it's sort of filtered through um, mm. consecrated life, as it now likes to be called, rather than religious life. But um, it, it's been there all the way along to just keep on. Waiting until there's a readiness and so I think it fits very well it doesn't fit easily in terms of uh, the way we live and pray particularly mm-hmm. it doesn't fit at all much although there is there are signs you know people now notice the seasons more and bring that into our ritual people notice um, that you know, there is a need to care for the earth, as they say, mm. care for the earth. Still having trouble getting people to talk about our planet as Earth <laughs> <laughs> with a capital E. Yeah. That's that's that language, see, that's so embedded in us, mm. you know. We don't we don't talk about the Mars and that Jupiter, but we talk about the Earth. Mm. Yeah.
0: The path that you've taken is such a trailblazing one. <laughs> especially in the context of um, a mainstream church which is fairly patriarchal and resistant to change. Um, There must have been so many times of great struggle for you.
1: Look, I'm not trying to change the church. That's one thing I'm not trying (laughs) to do. I might be trying to sneak out from under certain covers and utilise the opportunities I have within church But I wouldn't be trying to change the hierarchical church. I think it will collapse of its own accord and there will be um, sufficient communities of faith. Now, what their beliefs are is another story, but communities of faith that uh, will flourish into something else. And, of course, once everything starts flourishing, it can become institutionalised, and that's the worst thing. Mm. So I'm not sure what the future is, but I'm not... Look, the Pope Francis is a great sign of hope for mm. the Church, I believe, and his encyclical Laudato Si' has been such an encouragement to this work, mm. because now we can we've got authentication, authentication, as it were, for this work. Mm. You know, it's um, within the Church, but like it's not confined to the Church; it's about humans. Yes, it's not. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I wouldn't be too worried about church. Yeah.
0: Well, reflecting on Earth's, those years of earth song, um, what were some of the highlights that you can remember? Are there any particular retreats or practices that you would use that worked particularly well
1: that you can remember? Well, the journal is the highlight of earth mm-hmm. song. I mean, that. that's not an event, but mm-hmm. I think... Um, it, it, at one stage, you know, went to over, you know, over a 1,000 people mm. and that was the biggest reach Earth Song ever had. Mm. And it was a very special uh, avenue for promoting Australian voices and artists and I think, especially when we changed to the full colour edition, then the visual of that became so attractive and so I, I think if Song was... And some people think Song was only the journal. Mm. But if we were nothing else, then that was worth doing. Mm. But I think some of our... And I think some of our symposiums were very special events. Annually, we would celebrate some aspect of the Australian landscape. And people... That, that was the largest group we ever had came annually to that. And people would still talk about it. When you meet them, they'll remember the deserts or the rivers or Port Phillip Bay or whatever whatever was the theme of celebration for that particular symposium. And they were very important. I think that the New Heart and New Mind programs we ran, we ran out of teachers for running them, but they were very satisfying to us because you had people for three days who wanted to be there and who really engaged through, you know, interaction and learning and presentations and ritual. And um, I have great hope that somewhere, there would have been about 100 of them over time, that those teachers have still got embedded in them, that awareness that one day they will have enough time to bring it out again and work with their kids with that. I think for me that was a highlight, but uh, well, everything we did was special because mm-hmm. some, some like the Kildara series, we worked, we did three programs at Kildara each year for a number of years, and we tended to have a core group there who did, every time we worked, did, did an earth song program they came, but then always we would just have another group that hadn't come before, and each time was. Um, it was good. There was a sequence in what we were doing each year. And I think that was... It was a continuous learning because we met these people on many occasions. Mm. And the reading circles... Two, the two reading circles we ended up with are still going without mm. us. And that's that's a wonderful thing. <laughs> I think that is a wonderful thing. And perhaps the absolute highlight of Earth Song was the community that yes. formed and that members of that community are all still out there with those convictions and those understandings and that enthusiasm so yeah that's I enough. want to come back to a couple of the things that you
0: mentioned because for somebody who's never been on an earth song event or a retreat can you take us inside what it's like what <laughs> What's, say, an example of a practice or a ritual that made it so very special?
1: The rituals would have varied. Uh, because we would have a theme for each. Like we had a solstice day nearby here this year, winter solstice. We used light coming into the... the we used dark coming into the light. And we, we worked a number of um, activities around that and then ended up with a fire um, ritual. I think that uh, visual symbols are very important, but we need, and it's, this, is, this is again a trust that it will happen, that people's hearts get engaged uh if you if you do the visual, and Carmel Cramerary was brilliant at doing these visual um, settings and then engaging people in it. We, we did quite a bit of circle dancing now that's um, people love it or they're so embarrassed by it. <laughs> but even there's a particular one, the Elm dance, that everybody eventually, Mentions is very moving. Mm. It's so slow, it's not hard to do. And yet, there's something about the music and the rhythm of that that takes people down into a a deeper place Mm. that they recognize. And that's, I think, circle dancing is helpful. I'm not the best dancer in the world myself, but. You know, when you've got someone to lead it, it's a very meaningful. Tai Chi, a lot of people find Tai Chi, you know, a relaxing sort of... You you enter a deeper space in yourself, I Mm. think, in Tai Chi. Mm. One of the most effective things that I've used over and over, and if I say it now, other people will start doing it and I'll lose lose it for myself, but I suppose I should share it, is when you, you get a new group together and they don't necessarily know each other, you ask them to remember a place where they have been uh, by themselves in the more than human world and recall how they felt and what they saw and you know, all the senses. Invariably, people speak with great depth about that experience mm. And it sort of gives the underpinning then to Earth as the primary teacher. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's a very effective ritual or activity, really. It is not necessarily a ritual. And it bears witness to the fact that we do genetically have the same depth of relationship with country as Indigenous people do. If only we can uncover that again. And practice it differently, not, not as Indigenous people do, but um, find our place in, mm. in land mm. long belonging to country, you know. I don't like taking on the words of Indigenous people, but it's the best way to describe it, really. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. That gives yes. us a good insight into some of the underpinnings of what your
0: work is trying to do mm. and how we're, we're all invited back to earth.
1: Yes, yeah. yes.
0: Yeah. In my travels a lot of people um, talk about this journal of yours. <laughs> so in a similar way, could you take me in, inside, how how did you create something so unique and so beautiful and so meaningful for people? Um, because that's what comes up again and again.
1: Mm-hmm. It was largely by making a space For the contributors to share, Mm -hmm. it was the contributors who Mm -hmm. made the journal. I remember clearly the night when um, we came up with the idea. We, the presenters group, was together having a meal, and Trevor said, "Why don't we produce a journal?" And then Trevor went home, you know, and and had to think about. Yeah, we, we agreed it was a good idea. I thought, "What is a journal? You know, how how do we do it?" And within three months, we had the first edition. Um, people just responded. You asked them, would they write? You, you found a theme, you asked them, would they write? And they did. Often had to edit. Oh, God. You had to edit <laughs> the contributions. But it, not not all at all, but uh, some, you know, you'd ask them for 2,500 words and you'd get 7,000. Wow. Know? Mm-hmm. But anyhow... That was worth doing, if you could pick out the treasures in, in the 7,000 words. But I, I really liked the photos. I, I regret that the early editions were black and white because particularly one we did on Tasmania and we had most brilliant photos. And they were in black and white and they just didn't carry the, the beauty. You know, the voice of Earth itself didn't come in black and white even though they were still beautiful. But um, by the time we got to colour, full colour, I think that was a gift. You didn't have to read the words to some extent. You mm. just had to have a look, mm. just sit with it and, and let the, the beauty speak or, or, or the destruction speak. Mm. Uh, so the journal created itself.
0: It's interesting to me that in your work... Um, I know that you've drawn um, a fair bit on um, the work of Joanna Macy's frameworks for the great turning, mm-hmm. um, so the three dimensions of the great turning. and You mentioned them earlier actually when you, when you said about consciousness um, being different to, say, sustainable structures and advocacy work which we tend to focus on. What, what would you say is something that you have drawn on the most in your work that you really try to emphasize the most?
1: I think it is changing consciousness. Uh, we sometimes use what we call a spirituality spiral. Now it uh, comes out of Lonigan's work, but we simplify I simplify it so much, but developing a spirituality uh, begins with an allurement mm-hmm. to something to which you give your attention then you inquire further into it. You bring it into conversation with your own values and understandings at the time and then it animates your action. So I think that's similar and then you go back to the source of allurement to deepen and go around the spiral again. I think that's very similar to Joanna's work and you can't have any of the elements without all of the elements. But... I do think that we have focused, Earthsong is focused, on developing, on changing consciousness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We, as, as Earthsong, didn't ever do much advocacy. We would every now and then endorse someone else's um, project or whatever, but we didn't initiate any advocacy. And... To some extent, we didn't have the capacity to do that because we were sort of working out of the new story, the, the cosmology. I'm not saying that that has nothing to do with advocacy, but I think our strength was in, and hope my strength still is, in inviting people into, uh, a, a, well, into the spirit of Earth, basically, and to the extent that we move into that spirit or allow Earth spirit to to capture us, then uh, we we will act appropriately. Mm-hmm. There's a you know there's a lot of work being done now on Earth rights, and I think that's a magnificent movement. There's a lot of young, inspiring people involved in that, and I've got some connection with that, uh, and I think they also are, have embraced the consciousness element as well as the action mm-hmm. element. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that you can bring them into you know tandem with each other, I think that there's something underpinning the action. You're not going to get burnt out if you've got a deeper consciousness. Mm-hmm. The action will arise from it. And I'd just like to read a little bit from Joanna Macy's the, um, the video, The Great Turning, and she goes through the four um, aspects of her great turning. But when she comes to the suffering and she says, through our suffering with the world, we are seeing the immensity of life in us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She goes on to talk about St Francis and then she says, we need each other in ways that we never have before. Because all through human history, there was this tacit assumption that life would continue despite wars and poverty, plagues and pestilence. And the work of our hands and hearts would go on for future generations. And that is what is lost. That loss of the certainty in the ongoingness of life. It's the pivotal psychologically, psychological reality of our time. So my way of dealing with the overwhelm is to look it straight in the eye, she says, and to say, there you are again. To realise that we are suffering with our world and not trying to pave it over and not apologise for it or see it as a personal weakness, but to bow to it. You are suffering with your world. It's the most natural thing in the world the most wholesome healthy thing in the world to do don't be afraid of your heart breaking open the heart that breaks open can hold the whole universe it's that big mm. i think that's a profound insight into a new consciousness mm. and Joan is a classic example of that motivating her to action with the, the anti uranium and etc that she's involved in. But uh, the consciousness has to come. Well, I don't know if it has to come first. For some people, the action comes first. But for me, uh, it's the consciousness that is the underpinning. There's another author, um, Janine. Haw- oh, I forgot her name. Janine Three, double-barrelled name. And she talks about participatory, participatory consciousness, whereby we engage with the life systems of our planet, and you know we we are aware of those life systems, and we insert ourselves into them instead of being observers of them. And I think that's uh, that's sort of where I am, anyhow. I don't know if it's too philosophical or what it is, but. It's where I'm drawn is into that depthing of consciousness. But it doesn't excuse inaction. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that. But uh, it's sort of my place to be, I think.
0: You're certainly one who stands out as someone who's a, <laughs> an evolved consciousness, really. Mm-hmm. what What are some of your... Ways? What are your practices yourself you've personally taken up over the years to continually evolve your own consciousness?
1: I think you have to make a space. I have a very busy mind, a terribly busy mind. It drives me mad. And I'm a very eclectic reader. I start a book and I take something out of it and then I start another book and I take something out of it. So I, I long for the ability of sustained concentration, but I don't think it's my gift. So I try to make time each day um, to just sit. It's fairly ineffective, uh, but I think by doing it, I'm honouring that I want to listen to what is emerging and I certainly won't hear it during that sitting time. I might never hear it. But uh, if I'm meant to hear it, it will come. But it never comes then. You know, I'd love to have some mystical experience <laughs> or some great <laughs> yeah. inspiration, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It's, it's a sort of a boring time in a way. But I try to be faithful to that. And I, I, it, it feels right, mm. even though it feels pretty useless. And another thing that at the moment isn't too possible for me, but is gardening. Mm. I, I look in the garden. You forget everything else. There's there's life and death, all around you, visible and invisible, and it's the way it works. I just learned so many lessons from the garden. And growing food, but also but uh, you don't grow food. You allow food to grow and you allow flowers flowers and fruit to grow. Uh, and it's miraculous. So to be in the garden is to be sort of with a teacher, I think.
0: You
1: know? And to walk, to walk attentively, listen as you walk, look at your walk. Uh, you know, walk away from traffic. <laughs> mm-hmm. I often see people jogging along in the midst of diesel oil and everything. I don't know how they can do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's very important, I think, to be attentive and just see who's trying to teach you. Uh, and, and that can be the smallest little flower in the garden that can just say, look, Life doesn't have to be complicated. <laughs> just just with that old saying, bloom where you were planted, you know. Mm. Just do what you can do. So I don't have any really elaborate practices, but that that time of sitting I I just feel it's really important. But I wish it was more exciting. Mm.
0: <laughs> well you have more and more Welling up in you these days, because since Earth Song wound up in November twenty seventeen, you started a new project, Earth Spirit. So tell us about this new venture and what are your plans?
1: Well, I actually have no plans; <laughs> uh, hence the name Earth Spirit. I, I had, you know, I I felt a bit badly trying to m- mimic the Earth Song title, but. Then it felt right that whatever spirit Earth is trying to communicate at the moment, I, you know, Sally, it's all a mystery to me. It's it's as if the great work takes possession of you, and you you have to do it. So I can't went with the with the closure of this. I couldn't not keep doing something or being. Attentive, so luckily the Bridgetines were willing to give me a small budget to work on this and a place to be, and I'm I'm waiting for invitations now. We used to have our own project uh, programs and advertise them and all that, and now I just see what comes, and already some things have come, which is lovely, and I just say yes when an opportunity comes and that's that's what I'll keep doing Mm. Mm.
0: and where are you headed now in your own thinking are you you know there any books or podcasts thinkers that you're following that are taking you somewhere new since say the last 12
1: months Mm, well I, I every now and then I listen to segments of on being which I'm sure a lot of people do uh, but I've become, there's there's something uh, gnawing away at me about this Catholic tradition and what's been embedded in it that wants to come to life. And at the moment, I'm a great reader of Elizabeth Johnson who's been, she's been writing any number of books. And I think she is really trying to um, grow this shoot of ecological consciousness through the tradition. And another person who's doing that is John Hort. And so I've I've been reading everything they write lately. Mm. Not that I understand John Hort very well, but uh, if you read it, something happens to you. And I think I take comfort, as it were, from the number of Christian Catholic writers who are aware and... Believing in the new story and trying to um, to free the tradition of what is no longer helpful, and to grow the tradition into this new consciousness. So at the moment, that's I haven't at the moment got a lot of time to read, but that's what I'm reading. And poetry. I mean, mm. Judith Rush. I love Judith Rush, and sometimes I just pick up one of her books and sit with a poem. Mm that's uh, she's a woman who belongs in this land and she speaks she speaks with a very powerful voice at times for this land and her peoples so um yeah mary oliver of course you have mm-hmm. to you have to read mary oliver try envy trevor parton's ability to memorize all <laughs> those poems. he can spout them all out But um, I need to read them. I can't remember them. Can I invite you to read them
0: now for us? And share share something about why you selected these um, writings.
1: Well, I'll just read this Daniel O'Leary. We have often used just, he's a simple writer, he's an Irishman. And this new book of his has just come out. And when I read this, just quotation he's got in the beginning by a person called Steve Taylor, whom I've never heard of. But I just thought this summarises a lot of what is happening to us who are trying to live into this new story. It's called The Secrets. You can't grasp at the secrets, prise them from earth or pluck them from the air. You can't use force or even effort. You can only create the right conditions. Reverse the beam of your attention and make a sacred space inside for the secrets to flow through and reveal themselves to you. I think that's what the poets do, make that space inside. You can only create the right conditions reverse the beam of your attention. I think uh, that I just read it the other day and I thought, oh, that's that's very meaningful to me. It, it describes really um, what happens to me, I think. Not that I've got a poem at the end of them, but it's, it's the sacred space inside that flows and reveals itself. It's nothing that you do yourself, in my experience, <laughs> other mm. than make the space flow. But here's my friend, Judith Wright. The Rainforest. The forest drips and glows with green. The tree frog croaks his far-off song. His voice is stillness, moss and rain. Drunk from the forest, ages long. We cannot understand that call unless we move into his dream where all is one and one is all and frog and python are the same. We with our quick dividing eyes measure, distinguish and are gone. The forest burns, the tree frog dies. Yet one in all, and all are one. I think that beautifully expresses the um, the reality that we are all interconnected, and yet we need to see through space and time. We've got a very, we are very short-sighted and short-hearing and short-sensing, but to um, to know that what is, will be and what has been, is now is, um, is a very profound understanding, I think. And yet, it's very simple when you read Mary Oliver. It's terribly simple, mm. The Summer's Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Now, she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day, Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Well,
0: (laughs) (laughs) we give thanks for all you've done with your precious life, Anne Boyd, and for the the richness and the depth and the challenge that you've brought to so many in opening us up to our evolving consciousness. So thank you,
1: thank you, Sally. And you're you're such an encouragement to me in the work that you're doing and what Rahamin is doing. I think you, that's becoming a, a real hub of ecological consciousness. So thank you for thank that. You.
0: Rahamim Ecology Centre is an ecological ministry of the Institute of the Sisters of Mercy of Australia and Papua New Guinea, facilitating a new worldview for our times and our relationship with the natural world through education, spirituality and advocacy. For more information about us and our programs, please visit That's www.rahamem.org.au. This podcast was produced by Anastasia Freeman.